Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. If you have your Bible, smartphones, or tablets, and you want to follow along, we're going to be starting off in Exodus chapter 12, and then looking at Luke chapter 22. Today we're launching into a summer series on the book, uh, middle part of the book of Exodus. Exodus has 40 chapters, and, and we're going to be taking a look at chapters 12 through 20. title of the series is When God, and today it's When God Delivers, or When God Saves. I, I tend to preach on the New Testament a lot because our faith is focused on Jesus, but the Old Testament has a way of uh, enriching the story of the New Testament, because you understand the background. And admittedly, there are some stories in the Old Testament where they're hard to understand. Some portions of the Old Testament are boring to read through. Leviticus, uh, yeah. But at the same time, the Old Testament has a way of, of uh, bringing to life some of what you see in the New Testament. So today we're going to be taking a look at how the Passover started, and the Passover meal was the meal that Jesus was celebrating when he instituted communion, which we will be celebrating today at the end of the service. I'm hoping that we look at who God is, it'll bring a depth to your faith. Now let me give you the two-minute overview of the Old Testament. First book of the Old Testament is Genesis, and it tells the story of creation and explains why the world is in the shape it is. It describes who humans are supposed to be and who God is and, uh, it, and who God is in relationship to us. And through the first part of the book of Genesis, we become familiar with the devastation of sin and what sin has done to the world. Second part of the book of Genesis introduces us to a guy named Abram, who was later named Abraham. He is important because he's the father of the Jewish people, and the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham, and the whole rest of the Old Testament is the story of the Jewish people, God's people, and how God interacted with them. It's also the story of how the people of God learned to interact and learned about God. Now, we believe in progressive revelation, which means that, you know, Abraham knew something about God. But Moses came later, and he built on what Abraham knew, and so Moses knew more about God than Abraham did. And David came after Moses, and, and well, he built on that, and the prophets came after that, and we learn more and more and more. God progressively re uh, revealed himself through the Old Testament. We believe as Christians that the Old Testament was pointing to the promised Messiah, Jesus. Sometimes it's helpful to examine those pointers because when you see them, you, you learn a little bit more about who Jesus is. And so my prayer for you is as we go through this summer and uh, this six-part series on the book of Exodus, that you will see a little bit more about who Jesus is and that you will get to know who he wants to be for you. You'll start to see God's plan for the beginning of time and God's heart for you and for his people. I'm hoping that your appreciation for Jesus and what he's done for you will grow and, and deepen. And I'm hoping that we'll worship. When you see God for who he is, that worship will naturally flow from your heart. So this morning we start in Exodus chapter 12. At Asbury we celebrate communion uh, about once a month. 
And I want to take some time to think a little more deeply about communion by examining the feast that it came out of. But before we get there, let me tell you the background of Exodus chapter 12. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. But out of these, ones, uh, these, these sons, um, there was one, Joseph. Now Jacob, not being a wise father, had Joseph as his favorite son. And that caused all sorts of dynamics with his siblings. And in fact, they ended up hating Joseph so much that they sold Joseph into slavery. And the slavers took him to Egypt, where through a series of miracles, Joseph went from being a slave to being the second most powerful person in Egypt because of a plan that God revealed to him. Said, Joseph, there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of, of, of famine. During the years of plenty, store up time, uh, store, store up food for the famine. Well, that came to pass, and uh, Egypt was the only place that had food. And so uh, the famine hit, and it was devastating. And it hit all around, so it, it even hit Joseph's family. So Joseph's brothers had to come to Egypt and find food. Well, there was reconciliation that happened and forgiveness that happened, and even Jacob ended up moving to, to Egypt. And so Jacob, his whole family, Joseph, they're in Egypt, and life is good. And so they have their own area the, uh, of Egypt, and, and they're growing and they're growing, and there came about a time when there was a pharaoh who did not remember Joseph. All he saw were these Hebrew people, and they were flourishing, they were growing, and the pharaoh was starting to become frightened of them. So he decided to enslave them. And he enslaved them, and they were the ones who built the pyramids, and they were the ones who did a lot of the the hard work of labor for the Egyptians. But the story of the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob was passed down through the generations. And the people of God existed in this mode of slavery for 400 years. But they were crying out to God and saying, God, God, won't you come? Won't you deliver? Won't you help? Won't, won't you deliver us from the Pharaoh, from the Egyptian taskmaster? Well, there arose a guy named Moses. Moses was born to um, a Hebrew mother, but uh, through a series of miracles, he ended up being raised by a princess in an Egyptian palace. He eventually committed murder, ended up on the backside of the wilderness. He met God in the backside of the wilderness 40 years later through a burning bush. And this is what God says to Moses, Exodus chapter 3. It says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. 
Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. God says to, to, to Moses, go back to Egypt with this message. Let my people go. Well, you may know the story. Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And he wouldn't, of course. So God sent a plague and another plague. Nine plagues in all until we get to the story in Exodus chapter 12. The tenth plague, the last plague, is about to unfold. And each time, Moses would say, let my people go, and Pharaoh wouldn't. Well, you heard the story read. God gave instructions to Moses and, and his brother Aaron. And on the 14th day of the month, the household was to take a one-year-old sheep and, and uh, slaughter it at twilight. They would take some of the, the blood and smear it on the door frames of their houses. They were to take the meat and roast it over an open fire and eat it with bitter salad and with bread made without yeast. And this is a little of what you heard read, verse 11. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals. Carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night, I will pass through the land of, of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son, firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on, the, on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Plague of death will not touch you when I strike the, the land of Egypt. This is the day, this is a day to remember. Each year for generations to generation, you must celebrate. It is a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. In the middle of the Passover meal that had been celebrating generation after generation after generation after generation, Jesus comes. And Jesus is still celebrating this Passover meal with his disciples. And in the middle of this meal, he institutes what we call communion. And here's what uh, I want you to know. People of God did what Moses said. Hebrew people killed the lamb, put the blood on the doorposts. Oldest male family and livestock in Egypt, they died. But the death angel passed over um, the ones who had blood on the doorpost. And every year since that time, the Jewish people celebrate that Passover. They celebrate their deliverance from slavery. They celebrate God's work on their behalf. They celebrate God going to war on their behalf. They celebrate the Passover. Well, 1,500 years passes by, and uh, Jesus is on the scene. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 22, verse 8. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. 
Down to verse 14, when the time came, Jesus and his apostles sat down at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I will not eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, this is, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink it, the wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. In the middle of this meal, this Passover meal, Jesus instituted what we have come to call communion. But did you catch what he said about the meal? Verse 15. I've been eagerly, uh, very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The Hebrew people have been celebrating this meal for 1,500 years. But Jesus says, there's something happening right now. The full meaning of Passover hasn't been fulfilled. It's starting to be fulfilled. And until it's, this is fulfilled, the Passover is not quite yet complete. Jesus says, it's going to come about in the kingdom of God. What's he talking about there? Maybe remember John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist? He was foretelling or announcing Jesus, making the way straight for him. So John is out preaching in the desert, and he's wearing camel clothes, and uh, clothes made of camel hair, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. He looks quite like a wild man. He's preaching. People are coming out to see him in the desert. He sees Jesus walks by. Here's what he says in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. What was sacrificed on that first Passover night? A lamb. Jesus says, I've longed to eat this Passover meal with you. But after this meal, I'm not going to eat it again until the, its meaning is fulfilled. Jesus said, we're eating lamb, but the, the lamb that was looked forward to was a different lamb, the lamb of God, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Meaning's been fulfilled in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. It says, then he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Just like the, the lamb was given for death to pass by, Jesus said, my, my body is given so that death might pass by you. My body is given for you. See, we were in slavery too. We were not oppressed by the Egyptians. Sin was our taskmaster. We were enslaved by sin. 
Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin, and a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free indeed. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus tells us that if we sin, we're a slave to sin, and we've all been slaves to sin. If you know your own heart, uh, you know that to be true. Paul says, you know, the good I want to do, I don't do, and that which I don't want to do, I do. You get it. But Jesus comes along and says, there's a lamb. There's a lamb who takes away the sin of the world, whom the sun sets free is freed indeed. You don't have to be enslaved anymore. This is my body given for you. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Passover remembered the deliverance from slavery. It remembered the death passed by. It remembers God's work on behalf of his people. But there's a deeper meaning to be fulfilled. The Lamb at Passover was looking forward to another Lamb. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The deliverance from the Egypts was, Egyptians was looking forward to a deeper deliverance, the deliverance from the slavery to sin. In communion, we remember Christ died for our sin, that he set us free. We've been led out of bondage. As Paul said, says, sin no longer has mastery over you. We remember that death passed over us. Remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. We've been given new life. We remember that the God went to war on our behalf, and, and, and he took our taskmasters to task, and he sent us, uh, sent his ambassadors to say, let my people go. And sometimes it takes a lot of miracles to make that happen. You've seen it, and I've seen it. I find it interesting that when Jesus is instituting communion, it's given in the context of the people of God being oppressed by the Romans. They weren't enslaved by the Romans, but they were oppressed by them. He's celebrating a meal that reflects a historical reality, not a current one. I know a number of you have no God is in your life. You've received Jesus into your life. And you've been delivered, and let, yet you feel some oppression there. You feel the oppression that uh, things aren't all, things aren't as they should be. I want you to know that God is still at work. He hasn't forgotten you. That God is still working in your life. And there will come a time when you will experience full release. Jesus didn't deliver the Jewish people from the Romans, but he gave his life to anyone who wanted salvation. There's this already not yet aspect, Jesus is deliver us, but sometimes we find ourselves oppressed by the things of life, and Jesus is at work in the middle of those things. Jesus at the Passover supper goes on, and he says, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this is the cup of my new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by blood, by, with my blood. 
which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This bread is about my body given to you, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the original Passover where the people ate the lamb, we eat the bread, symbolic of the Lamb of God. But the cup, the cup has something else going on. The cup is a new covenant between God and his people. A covenant is, a, a, is something like a contract that says both pe- people will act in a certain way, but a covenant is deeper than a contract, though one party doesn't live up to their end, it isn't automatically broken. The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament introduces the idea of this new covenant. And he says, in this new covenant, God's going to take his laws, and he's going to write them on the tablets of our heart. His laws are going to become at the core of who we are. And he fills us with love, a love for himself, love for people. See, the old covenant stipulated that the relationship with God was based on keeping God's law. The covenant failed because we couldn't. New covenant is based on what God has promised to do in the hearts of believers. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 says, For this reason... Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. God is doing something different. It's about your heart. It's about eternal life. It's, It's about release from slavery of sin. It's about forgiveness. It's about empowerment. Jesus says, I am sealing this covenant with my blood and is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This life allows us to walk with God, walk in relationship with God. There's a relationship that gives you the confidence to pray, and the confidence to live life well. When we take part of communion, we're taking, we recognize that we've been released from slavery. Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. God has gone to war on our behalf, and we've been given this new covenant. And Jesus has walked us into this relationship with God, a God who says, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm in you, I'm around you, I've called you my beloved, I've made you my very own, I've called you and I've adopted you into my family, I said, you are mine, I placed my spirit inside you and said, you are mine. I've allowed you to know me and walk in relationship with me. And so when we take part in communion, it's an outward symbol of what's taken place in our lives. We, we take part in communion. We're saying, Jesus is our master, not sin. Although we're not, not saying we're perfect by any means. Remember, it's already, not yet. Jesus has done the work, and he's still doing work. And he'll complete the work when we get to heaven, but it is saying, Jesus, I give you my life. You are the one who sets me free. When you take part of communion, you're, you're saying, we're part of this new covenant. Our relationship with God is not based on keeping the rules. Our relationship with God is based on what he's done in our hearts, and he's changing us. And I say, Lord, more. Change my heart more. I need you to do more in my life. Communion is an outward symbol of, of what's taking place on the inside, and that's why we ask that only people who, who uh, are followers of Jesus take part in communion. But some of you may be here saying, I, you know, I've done that, but I've never done that, but I'd like to. 
by taking part in communion this morning, you're, you can say, by faith, Jesus, I give you my life. I receive your forgiveness. I, walk, I want to walk in relationship with God. I'm trusting you to do a work in my heart. I'm trusting what you did on the cross for my forgiveness. You're the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. I want that include, to include me. Saying, I want to be included in the new covenant. And where you give me a new heart. And you write your laws on my heart, so I want to do what you want me to do. Communion is accepting the work of Jesus into your life. So we join, as we take part in communion, we join into the grand story of God. One who, people of God were sold into slavery, and they were held in slavery for 400 years. But God sent his messenger Moses and says, let my people go. And God told, took, did what it took to deliver his people. We were a part of slavery, but not to the Egyptians, but to sin. And God sent his only begotten son, Jesus. And he said to the taskmaster of sin, let my people go. And he paid the price so that we might be delivered. Today, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you want to be a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to take part of communion. And we join with the saints from all times and on all places, and we say, his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. That we might have this new relationship, this new covenant with God. We can walk in freedom. For who the sun sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we get to join with the people of the past and the people in the present and celebrate what you've done. Lord, you fulfilled the Passover and took it further. And you allow us to be set free so that you are our master, you are our God, and we give thanks. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.